again. Okay. So in the spark, in every spark, there is a distinction, which is this one is the extraordinary cannot be reached through the ordinary. There's some notes. And then there's, in this one, there's maybe a couple experiments. There's one experiment, and we might just find experiments to create um, along the way when we read the notes. Hi, Michael. Hi. So I was just saying how, how we gonna go for this spark. And so I, when I read the notes, which is about a page here, I might just stop and uh, make a comment about the note or ask a question, but I, the invitation is if something in the notes resonate or maybe triggers or you have a question about it, just interrupt me and and then we'll go on this kind of discovery journey about this notes because um, like those notes here are less than a page and they can go in a lot of direction depending on what's your necessity right now or your questions. So we, we work with your own necessity right now. Okay, I maybe just shortly I would if any, everybody can just introduce themselves, say what you're calling from, and just maybe like a word or a sentence about what's, what's up, uh, then we can sort of be in this team together as, I mean, the more, the more vulnerable or the more like, I don't know how to do this, so I really want this in my life, the more vulnerable you are about your life, then the more, it seems like the more valuable the question and the research is. So, it's about also this is your team and or this is our team and um, I just want to introduce each other so we can sort of relax a little here. So uh, yeah, Jake, would you start? <laughs> Hello, good morning. My name is Jake. Um, I am feeling in like like I'm exactly trying to do this, reach the extraordinary through the ordinary at the moment, of feeling very hemmed in in my life with things like my laptop breaking, needing to move house, needing to try and book travel arrangements, and like through it all, I'm trying to reach and build something extraordinary for myself. And it's feeling like this constant back and forth through the mundane and ordinary things of life um, and yeah I was starting to in this past week get very stuck on this thing of like yeah like ah, oh, there's all these ordinary things I've got to do and it's taking up too much time so when I saw the spark I was like oh okay this this sounds aligned with where I'm at let's see what it's let's see what there is there for me so I came along thank you Anna hello I'm in Lenten in the moment and this, I'm on holiday with the family and then gone with Gwendolyn for a walk which is my daughter and I'm here, yeah, I read this back yesterday for a, a 
accountability team that didn't happen in the end um and i was like yeah I, I would love to have help to create more extraordinary in my life and less ordinary. And what I'm also working also now with a friend and thanks to Anne Chloe for making me aware of it, um, become really aware of my, or starting to become aware of my assumptions that I build around and then build expectations behind them because I think my assumptions are true. And I think, this is also for me a good way to keep in the ordinary, to think that my my world of view is the only one that is there. Thank you. Thank you. Michael. You're muted. I was yeah. on mute. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here in Melbourne uh, in Australia. And we have just commenced six weeks of lockdown because of uh, coronavirus again. Um, so uh, I'm again, I've got a rare opportunity because my kids are in a beach house that we were in before the lockdown happened, which means I've had grown up time and grown up space. And so I wouldn't normally be free to do this kind of thing at this time. Um, so this is. Uh, extraordinary for me um, and I just wanted to jump into whatever I could basically um, I am writing a book at the moment about um, exiting the cultural norm um, because I wanted to use this corona interruption period to completely change the trajectory of my life and to encourage others to do the same um, and so I'm really interested in how I can make writing extraordinary. Um, I'm interested in how to not be boxed in by my habitual ways of communicating. Um, so, I'm, yeah, that, that's the kind of exploration that I'm in at the moment. Yeah. Thank you. Lee, you want... No, we, yeah, we can't hear you. Okay, so you'll log back. I'll, I'll ask Maria. Okay. Um, I'm calling from Berlin right now, and I am very excited about this park. I read it yesterday or a couple of days ago, and um, something just like lit me up. So I'm really glad to, to read it again with you today and see where it goes because I really want to create more extraordinary in my life and yeah I think this is like a good moment to, to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Leon. I'm also in Berlin. <laughs> um, I haven't read the spark but I find something in any spark and um, yeah I, I think I've been missing the possibility management spaces. It feels like I haven't had them for a while, which may not be true, but I just want a lot of it to, I don't know, to move me a bit forward. <laughs> um, I think right now I'm mostly trying to figure out my gremlin more and try to get the leash on him. And uh, that's not so easy. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Hi, Gabriel. I, we're, in, we're in sort of in a check-in round, so I'll ask uh, Joseph first, and then and then you'll be the last, and then me. Yeah. Go ahead. Joseph. Joseph yeah. In Vienna. And this um, the the spark I yesterday saw uh, really sparked me up in in regard to because I, I was aware that my my ordinary life now is quite comfortable in the meantime so it's running nice with some little challenges and I really but there is something that that pikes me or spikes a little it says okay what's what's next this what what are the challenges how do I step out I had this one a little challenge that I put myself in it was like okay uh, um, give a present to somebody on the street or somewhere else uh, randomly and it's okay I will do that today and I, I felt that it needed a lot of courage uh, even to, uh, to imagine that and uh, at the end it was I bought um, um, a little piece of chocolate in, in the supermarket and I thought okay to whom will I give it this present will it be awkward all these kinds of things to step out of the normal. Well, I succeeded it finally. I nearly missed it because it was at the end when I was going to my apartment and I met the neighbor there. And I her. And it was a, a kind of a relief that I, uh, it happened spontaneously. And because I did not have to plan it and, and what I'm interested in is really give way to my spontaneity and, and to, to really follow the impulse and not to control myself so much. Thank you. Okay, Lee, let's try if this is working. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. Great. All right, change laptop. That sounds, that's better. So um, I'm Lee. You can't. I'm, um, I'm in New Zealand, so on the same time zone, more or less, as Michael in Melbourne, I'm guessing. So it's evening here and very wintry and cold. Um, um, I guess my, this is the first time I'm, I'm in here, so I'm kind of going to figure it out as I go. I guess I am um, reading the extraordinary... What's the title of the spark again? The extraordinary cannot be reached through the ordinary. I listened to your your um, talk with Clinton and Chloe about um, conversation, changing the, the paradigm of conversations this morning. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of in that zone about communicating, yeah, and the extraordinary and the meta conversations and things like that. Cool. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to post it, the link uh, of the YouTube video on the chat. Um, it was a great call. I think Gabriel, you were there, right? You were there and, and Jake also. Yeah. So there's some part which are more exercises and parts that are more distinction and, but I, it was yeah. felt great even from the uh, space holder side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gabriel, go. Uh, hello everyone. Nice to be with you all and to discover again something new with uh, making extraordinary life <laughs> and try to speak this morning is difficult um, 
my question regarding to the Spark uh, announcement was uh, how to make the. Well, I would ask a couple. Of Sorry, there was some noise. Yeah. Um, how to make like the normal life extraordinary, like uh, because mm. in my life I'm. Um, doing something which is uh, um, has a lot of uh, how to say mm, difficult to find my words this morning sorry yeah. <laughs> well I'm going through a path which is really is kind of normal but that the paradox is how to make it extraordinary uh, despite the fact uh, the path I'm choosing is really ordinary. That's how I can try to reveal my paradox now. Thank you. Okay. And I'm in France, by the way. I'm in Scotland, the north of Scotland. So it is occasionally also rather wintry. <laughs> Okay, my name is Anne Chloe and I'm calling from Crete and it's not wintry, it's everyday sunny and olive trees and goats and sheep and, and there's no roads and there's nothing around and this is wonderful. And even in this extraordinary set, I noticed how easy it is for me to fall or to let my gremlin take me into ordinary and into low drama, into this is not whatever the stories or the voices or, and, and this realization that you can be on a perfect paradisiac Island and live in hell. And, and so how do we, how do we make that for seems like human being have this extraordinary capacity to create hell for themselves and, and what, no matter what the setting is. And, um, yeah, so I think this spark is also very timely for me and uh, in this, what it seems like I have a lot of extraordinary in my, I would say in my work life, I get to be in, in a lot of spaces where I get to like be vulnerable or be with people who are vulnerable and or create evolution, which is all seems like I would say really order already extraordinary and then it's like how to how to keep that with the the cashier at the supermarket and like how do I hold this extraordinary even when I walk down the street with the farmers or with people who don't speak my language or and and to never leave that space yeah I wanted to before I just start to read I wanted to say something about what Anna said which I think is so important and, um, and I think it's worth repeating and, and for you to, you can take that in your life and also see the mechanics of it in other people. It's this mechanics about assumption and expectation and especially expectation that we have this ability as human being to expect things from ourselves or from other people, from a partner, from our children, from my boss, from even the people on the street, like, or even expectation about how men should behave or how women should behave or 
what expectation may be about how life should be. And what we discover is that there's a mechanic behind expectation. And the way to, that we build expectation is first we make an assumption. We make an assumption about how things should be. Look, for example, somebody can say, you know, I expect my partner or my, the person I live with to, after they ate something, to clean their dishes and put them away. I expect them or assume that they're going to do that because whatever, because that's how I grew up, because that's how I want it, because whatever. And then your assumption, if you assume that your assumption is true, so you make a double assumption, you assume something and then you assume that your assumption is true, this changes it into an expectation. And instead of being in the present with the person, with yourself, you get to be with your expectation, waiting for it to be fulfilled. And oh God, if it's not fulfilled, if somebody dares to break your expectation, then you turn your expectation into resentment. You did not do what I expected you to, to, to do, or to, you, I didn't, you didn't do, or you, you weren't who I expected you to be. And you betrayed me. That's the resentment. You betrayed me because you didn't fulfill my expectation. And the resentment has, it's a mix of free emotion of anger, sadness, and fear, but mostly it has anger. So I don't know, can you sense in yourself this, this anger that comes from resentment? Like somebody betrayed me. Okay. Yeah. And so the thing is one resentment, one resentment has the capacity to kill any kind of intimacy. Because when you interact with the person whom you have resentment against or you touch, you know, if it's your partner, you, you touch all your children or whatever, you touch the person who you have resentment against, what you feel is not the person, what you feel is your resentment. That's the first thing that comes up. So, so I'm saying that because the this technology of making an assumption, assuming that it's true, turning it into an expectation. And then basically, you know, people who, if you have expectation, the people around you have two choices. Either they're adaptive to your expectation. So they, they're just become the person that they, you want them to become, but they're not themselves. Or they break, so, and, the, and then you have your expectation fulfilled and it's, it seems wonderful. Or they break your expectation and by, be, by being themselves and you have resentment. So that's the two options that you give when you have expectation towards somebody. And that would make any space or any relationship ordinary. Because it's either adaptive, being adaptive is ordinary because you don't get to be yourself. And having resentment, having emotional reaction to somebody is ordinary because you're not in the present. So I was so shocked and like, but also like pleased or how do you say that? I was so shocked and relieved that there is a, that there's an explanation that there's a, it's a mechanic. 
And so you can catch yourself, okay, where I make, uh, where am I making assumption in my life? And everywhere you haven't made an assumption, basically you haven't negotiated what you want. You're just waiting for people to fulfill what you want, but you haven't negotiated. And there's this weird assumption that we think people can read our mind. And I, I'm, not, I'm not making a, a split here, but it seems to me a lot of women expect that men read their mind. And that, you, you know, isn't it obvious that that's what I want? And then the men is just like, Jesus, like, how can I have guessed that? <laughs> and then the woman has resentment, the men doesn't get it. And, and that's basically an ordinary men-woman relationship. This confusion and this resentment. So it's, a, it's, it's great to go around your life and be, and, and you can check with a few people, and that could be one of your experiment this week. Okay, with my boss, what, what am I expecting? What am I expecting from them? Okay, with my partner, what am I expecting them? How am I expecting them to behave or to do things? Or uh, with my colleagues, with the people on my team, you know, possibility team, or even with, you know, some of you are in, in, in trainings and you might have expectation on your trainers, you know, or on your guru or on your teacher, or I don't know what kind of spaces you're in. But even expectation on them, you don't get to be with them. And they are human. I've been trying to do some mental translations as you've been talking into my sense of expectations of myself. Because I had an experience with a very ordinary uh, conversation I had a few days ago with my mum. And my experience was that it was um, what I was most conscious of was the sense that I had expectations of myself that I that I actually didn't like at all. And living into those expectations actually left me very resentful. You know, so I had an expectation that I would not be expressive or talk about anything meaningful or interrupt the, the kind of inertia of the, the relationship and change the course of things. Um, and sure enough, I, I lived into my own expectations of myself and resented myself because of that. I sort of, I saw that there could have been a possibility to do something different, but I didn't really feel connected with that possibility. And it was a very disappointing kind of experience. Yeah. So what I, so this is what it seems like is when you have an expectation, or it seems like you have an expectation, for example, uh, an expectation on yourself. Okay. I want to create extraordinary and another expectation anyway, it's never going to happen. You know, you have both those expectations that are going opposite direction. That is already resentment. The second expectation is already the resentment. Anyway, it's never going to happen. Anyway, I'm not good enough. Anyway, she doesn't understand me. You know, whatever the thing is, that is already resentment. This double expectation. So what, 
you know, the only way to take apart resentment is publicly admit to the person to whom you had an expectation towards, to publicly put yourself apart and say, and really feel, because making an expectation is a gremlin game. Is a gremlin game, you're setting yourself up for resentment. You're setting yourself up. So then your gremlin will have, resentment is such tasty food for gremlin. It is such tasty food. And so, you know, and, and anybody can make an assumption about anything for no reason. And you can remember that for you, but you can remember that on people putting assumption or expectation on yourself that seems reasonable. And actually anybody can make any assumption and therefore create any expectation about anything for no reason except for gremlin food. So part of shifting from ordinary to extraordinary can also be to not fall, to like, to not accept, to not, um, how do you say, like, yeah, fall into, like to not, yeah, accept or be adaptive to anybody's expectation on you. You know, your parents, but also your partner. And even your boss, that your boss has expectation on you, they don't get to be with you. So you can have this boundary saying, it seems like you have an assumption about me, or it seems like you have an expectation about how I should behave. And I'm not willing to fit into your expectation. So are you willing to tell me what the expectation is? Or, you know, and that would, that's a meta conversation. It is a meta conversation. But when you have already resentment, and, and most people who, like, before we know how the mechanism of expectation and resentment happen, we all have resentment. Because it's part of the modern culture thoughtware that assumption and expectations are a good thing. You know, we, we do a lot of, with Clinton, we do couple, um, like, coaching. And the first thing we go is we ask one person, you know, what do you expect from your partner? And you can do this. And people come up, you know, it's like 15 to 20 minutes of listing the number of expectations they have on their partner. And it's, you know, and it's like, I expect you to care for me. I expect you to uh, give me financial security. I expect you to love me. I expect you to trust me. I expect whatever and this is you know and then you could see how quickly the marriage like the 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 marriage construct comes into that about forever you know i expect you to care for me forever and all this stuff so and and it's like you you're setting yourself up to live in a now that's forever so very big and not be in the present so what I was going to say is to take apart your own resentment is to publicly admit to the person to whom you had resentment against saying, Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I expected you to be something else than what you are. I I've tried to force you to fit into something that I would like, or that makes me comfortable instead of being with you. You know, we all doing this work somehow. There's a, I think we all have a sense that we want to become who we are. We want to have the space and the, 
and the capacity and the freedom of our box and our patterns to actually become who we're supposed to be. And then we put expectation on others so that they cannot become who they're supposed to be. And that's crazy. So it's about admitting saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sad that I, I kept that expectation. And for all those years that you've been around me, you, you cannot be yourself because I, I created that thing. And to feel the, the, the sadness and the grief of that and, and there's partly also some fear and some, some anger, but there's a lot of just grief. And, and then you start at a new point in that interaction with that person. Uh, yeah, is it that my perception is that there is a very deep underlying belief that other persons are responsible for my for my good feeling that there is kind of a, a very basic accept, uh, um, expectation or a kind of belief that I'm that I other persons are responsible for that I am well that that's kind of very pervasive in our society. So and Joseph, I, would you say so? I have an expectation. Can you say mm -hmm. it that way? Yeah. So I. I have a basic expectation that uh, somebody else on the street or partner around me, they have a responsibility that I am well. That's kind of a very basic assumption that we carry with us maybe since childhood. Because when we were uh, small, uh, our mothers and fathers and, and related persons, they were responsible because we couldn't be with ourselves. And we, we, at some point of time, we have to have radical responsibility for ourselves and not expect somebody else that um, they are fulfilling our needs. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is we live in a baby culture. Everybody mm. around who is, is walking around as a baby, take care of me. Please love me. Please, you know, make me feel good. And this is, this is a baby walking around. So... We have president, you know, CEOs, president of NGOs, uh, you know, government, whoever, who are babies walking around with that expectation. And which I think is partly, you know, if I just could have go that way is if we as people, we say we are angry with, with, with what's going on we don't fulfill the expectation of taking care of them. So you know, if we say, I'm, it doesn't work for me. This society, this culture doesn't work for me. I'm angry, I'm scared, I'm sad. We are, then we are breaking the expectation of making other people comfortable. Mm. So taking this, rad, this responsibility saying, I'm not gonna fit into anybody's expectation that I should take care of them or I should make them comfortable, then, then you're in a totally different um, anchor point. Like your point of origin is some, somewhere different, which is about what matters to you and not what matters to you as a, as a child, what matters to you as an adult. You know, my life is about that. And if I'm going to make people uncomfortable, it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm not, I'm unwilling to be adaptive to people's expectation. So you know, you see Greta Thunberg, she does that. You know, she makes people very uncomfortable, a lot of male uncomfortable, but a lot of other people. And it's like, and she's a 17 year old. 
what I think is that her dyslexia or her autism gives her this capacity to create a gap between people who have expectation on her and herself. Because she doesn't have this normality of like being adaptive. And that her part of autism give her that power of saying, hey, you have expectation, I don't care. And I'm, yeah. Yes. And I think it's one way to just not, to cut the connection. But what I'm more looking for is to stay in connection, although saying I'm not, we have to find something else because I'm not fulfilling your expectation. So to stay in connection while saying no. Was there anything different than, was that different from what I said? For me, yes, because if, like Greta Sundberg is, um, is not taking care of some connections, she's just taking care for what's interesting for her. So she's, I mean, that's an interesting yeah, I mean, story that you have. Yeah, I mean, if you, like with a bus driver, you can say, I'm not fulfilling your expectation. I do something and then you, you, your life keeps on going. But when you're with friends or with your partner, you can say no, but you're going to have more things in common that are affected by the no than with the bus driver. Yeah. Yeah, being adult, meaning it means that you're going to be making messes, but you can take responsibility for the mess that you create. That's what it means to be adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start reading. Distinction. The extraordinary cannot be reached through the ordinary. So when, when we use in possibility management, the word extraordinary and ordinary, it's, it's about um, what we mean is the extraordinary space or extraordinary context. And the extraordinary starts at adulthood. And adulthood is uh, a level of responsibility that is fair. So I have responsibility and you have responsibility but I take responsibility for the mess that I create. Okay, that's the extraordinary. Ordinary is I'm, I'm avoiding responsibility. That's the ordinary context. It's a child-based responsibility that I make a mess and the, the parents clean it up. You know, in a patriarchy is the mom clean it up. That's the ordinary context. And then there's even the archetypal context, which can only be reached through the extraordinary, the adult, where this is radical responsibility, saying any mess that's been created, I am responsible for it, and I have, I can build uh, the tools of distinction, the the capacity, uh, the competency to clean up any messes that other people also make. So it's not about rescuing; it's about being responsible for the level of responsibility that is taken in the space. Okay, that's the archetypal and radical responsibility. But here we're talking about ordinary and extraordinary. Okay, notes. 
possibility management is based on the theory that the extraordinary is possible. In every circumstances, under any condition, without restriction, the extraordinary is possible. Consider what this implies. It means that you never need to spend one, even one moment. It means that you never need to spend even one moment that is wasted ever again. There is no gap. Well, there's a gap, but there, <laughs> I'll read this part. So there's no gap between right here, right now and the extraordinary. Actually, there are seven gaps or nine gaps. Um, so the thing is with those sparks is, you know, Spark 60 was written a couple years ago. And so we've learned stuff along the way. So I'll just sort of um, update, that, update them as we go along. But what, what this means is this sentence that comes out of possibility management that a lot of people know is something completely different is possible right now. So when you find yourself in ordinary or in low drama or in a conversation that's just sicky and, and not fulfilling, the, the, the base point of the theory is something else is possible, something completely different is possible right now. Okay, so already then, what is the map? How do we get? you know, from right here, right now to the extraordinary. What is the technique or the technology? Just how exactly do you get from normal or ordinary to extraordinary? The answer is you can't. So you cannot go from ordinary to extraordinary because extraordinary has its own unique point of origin not connected to anything else. To reach ordinary, you must release your attachment to the ordinary, locate the new point of origin, and start completely over again from there. I mean, this is, this is why um, a multi, you know, massively multiplayer online and offline game is called Start Over start over and then we have start over again we have start over here and start over again and again you know and and that's and that's the thing it's it's not like you're in the ordinary and then you find a way to move to the, the extraordinary and then you're there it's more it has to be a constant attention put on where is my point of origin right now and right now and right now so it's, it's not a certificate. And, and, and this is why there's no certificate in possibility management. It's not like, okay, you've done five years of law and you're a lawyer now. Okay, you've done this and this and this, and now you can live in extraordinary. It doesn't work like that. It's our attention and our, like our necessity and our willingness to practice that to, to find how do we, okay. The, then the question for me is how do I get in this new point of origin. If I cannot travel from ordinary to extraordinary and I need to find this new point of origin, okay, how do I find this new point of origin?
does anybody want to or need to say anything right now? I guess does that does that mean that there's a kind of groundlessness at some point, like the liquid state? Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is where uh, the gap is. There's a gap. There's so there's nine kind of gaps, which is the gap between spaces. So you have to travel into this gap between space, which is the energetic space of the energetic space has a space holder and has a purpose. So if you're unaware of who the space holder is and what the purpose of that space holder is, probably the default purpose will be at play, which is ordinary, which is gossiping and complaining and things are not working and who's persecuting me and who's going to rescue me. And all of that is going on in that space. So you'll need to find this. There's a, there's gaps in space. There's also gaps in time. So when people speak and then there's a gap in time, there's a gap in noise. So you might, some of you might have noticed that, that when you're in a meeting, people speak. And then at some point there's a gap where you can speak. And often we, we are unaware of when is it our time to speak. And so when that is, that skill is not practiced, people start speaking over each other. But you can practice noticing when is the gap in noise and when is, okay, then this is my time to slide in into this conversation. Okay, that's a gap. It's really cool to practice. There's a gap in identity. Okay. So you can have an identity and then find this gap where you have no identity. And that feels, all those gaps feels totally groundless. You don't know who you are. You don't know, you know, what is real, what is not real, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Okay. And, and then you would shift into another identity. So that's when the box crumbles. And I mean, I think all of us has had this experience of being like, I have nothing to hold on to right now in my life. Like nothing makes sense. Nothing is what I thought I was is all a lie. You know, I thought that was true. And actually it's all stories. There's a gap between game worlds. So we all play in game worlds. And this is really cool to notice when you shift from one game world to the next. For example, when you're on the street and you step on the bus, walking in the street is a particular game world. Being in the bus is another game world. It seems like it's, you know, we, it seems like it's maybe all smeared, like, oh, it's all one big life. Because mostly all the different game worlds that we play in when we are like out outside or whatever in life they all have the same purpose and the same point of origin which is ordinary which is you walk on the bus and the bus driver if you didn't pay the bus driver he wouldn't do his job so he's really there because he gets paid so his purpose of being there is receiving money which is a fake currency that he believes he needs to survive to live so he lives in this assumption, in this thought where I need money to live, which is ordinary. That would be part of the ordinary context. Yeah, Gabriel. Uh, what I got, what I understand, and what I was thinking while you were speaking uh, is uh, about this point of origin you were talking to. Um, is that point of origin um, I don't know if it's uh, the correct 
uh, way of saying it, but uh, should not take roots in our, uh, how to say, desire, needs, but take roots in a common interest or something uh, on, a, on another level. And that's what you're talking about when you're saying uh, to making something extraordinary, uh, the point of origin has to be rooted in something that you cannot describe or I don't know. I know it's clear. So one thing is there is no should in this work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> in the beginning you said your point of origin should be there or should not be there. And, and the should comes from the ordinary, that there's an authority telling you, you should do this or you should do that. And here the work is, there's the map. There's the map and you get to choose. And it's your responsibility where you put your point of origin. And, and so I'm, I'm just sort of insisting on it. I, I, I get that you get it. And it's like this should thing is I'm giving my center away. I'm giving my authority away to something that's going to tell me how it should go. Okay. And even if this, you know, uh, this should, okay, I should do this in the common interest. I, I should be uh, selfless or I should be, you know, all of that. It's ordinary. Amazingly. Yeah. So this is, this is, um, you know, religion and also gurus and, any, any spaces where you're going to give your center away of something, somebody else tells you how it should be, would still be in the ordinary, even if they're pretending that it's for the common good or for uh, the future or for the next generation. So this is a great uh, alarm. I have a little beep, beep, beep alarm when people say must, you, we must to, we, we have to, we should, you know, and it's like, Okay, those people are not providing an, a map. They're providing their belief system. And I'm not interested in, in being in other people's belief system. I'm interested in researching or experimenting or how do we, how do we get there? Mm. I mean, I'll say it and it's like, You know, those words didn't make sense for me in the beginning, but this, the point of origin, I think this terminology comes from Carlos Castaneda. So for some of you who've read his book, Journey to Exland and, and other uh, books of, from him. And it's about where, where do you move? Where do you move from? Like what's the, what's the impulse? Okay. So we have different parts in us that have different purpose and different needs and desire. Okay. You have a gremlin who wants to eat low drama and wants to eat other people, you know, intimacy and wants to eat, um, porn or Netflix or whatever your gremlin eats, you know? Okay. You have also an adult and an archetypal lineage who has wants your archetypal lineage wants things. And each of us has a unique archetypal lineage. So this distinction between, you know, what you desire is bad and, and, and this common selfless is good. You know, this comes also from religion. This is the religious thing. 
which then mostly what people are in this sense of common interest is they are adaptive to what other people want. And then we get a culture of adaptive people. Oh, other, I'm, I'm doing this in the, in the common interest of not making any, anybody else uncomfortable. Okay, well, this is where we are. We're trying to not make any, anybody uncomfortable. We're trying to not be uncomfortable ourselves. And we live um, separated and isolated instead of living in, in community and village where we, have, we can source the culture that we want because to source the culture that we want will be uncomfortable. There will be feelings, there will be emotion, there will be evolution, there will be processes. So the distinction between ordinary and extraordinary, this point of origin is about responsibility. It's about, are you avoiding responsibility? Are you making moves that will make you avoid responsibility? Or are you making moves where you're taking responsibility and I'm saying this not as a burden, because a lot of us are really good at being, this is my fault, and I'm to blame, and I should fix it. And okay, this is still ordinary, because it comes from a, uh, a blame, like a beating ourselves up type responsibility. It's an old map of responsibility where responsibility is a burden. On the new map of responsibility, responsibility is, I am at source. I decide, I create, I can change, I can negotiate, I can say what I want, I can say, and I say what I don't want. So for example, I've been practicing lately, which is really a challenge for me, about saying what I want. And I realized that instead of saying what I want, I would ask, do you want to do this? Which had the assumption behind, okay, I want to do this, but I want to do this with you, do you want to do this with me? That was all assumption behind it, this question, do you want to go to the beach or do you want to go into this restaurant? And Clinton, who I live with, keep giving me the coaching or like the feedback. It's like, okay, I, it doesn't tell me what you want. It only tells me, you know, you're asking me a question, but I don't know what you want. And so I've been just practicing for the past week a lot when I catch myself say, okay, do you want to have the potatoes on the side? You know, like little stupid things. Then I'm like, okay, what do I want? And this has been so hard for me. And I, I really have to wait like five minutes being, okay, I want the potatoes that way actually and not on the side and, and like this. And then I can say it. But it's been like really hard practice. Yeah. You yeah, said just, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's uh, that one that you just said there. It, it's something that I have, like it's I have both ways. <laughs> so I have had in the past and I, and I would receive a lot of feedback on it. Um, I'm not stuck in it anywhere near the same because of the same practice of receiving the constant feedback of going, would you like to do this? And they're like, what do you want? And where, where's my power in that to be decisive in creating what I actually want? And then at the same time, a big thing that I noticed is how when I started practicing being really strict on that with the people around me, I, sometimes someone would ask, do I want to do something? And I'm like, no, I don't really want to do it. 
However, when I received a clear invitation coming from the starting point of them declaring what they wanted and declaring that they wanted to do that thing with me, sometimes my whole perspective changed because the invitation landed in me. It's like if I'm in the middle of doing work or reading a book and someone says, do you want to come for a walk with me? I'm like, nah, I'm kind of enjoying what I'm doing. But when they go, oh, I so want to go for a walk. I've got, I just can't wait to be outside. It's such a beautiful day. I'd love you to come and join me. Is that possible? And I'm like, yeah, you know what it is. Yeah, let's go do that. Um, and that was a helpful mirror for me then to also change because then it was like, okay, well, what do I want? Do I want someone to just come along because the sort of ordinary thing of I suggested a walk? Or do I want someone to come on a walk with me because I'm excited and they're excited that I'm excited and that together we're going to go on a walk together? Like, what, what do I want the starting point to be? So this is... You know, yeah, it, it, yeah, thank you, Jake. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous compared to the problem that the world is facing. And, and I think it starts there about, can you say what you want? You know, can I say what I want? And, and that would shift into, that is extraordinary because, you know, even if it's, about, if it's about potato, it seems like a normal life, but it's extraordinary because I take responsibility for what I want. This is what we're talking about on this smaller scale of what's happened in the kitchen to what kind of culture and nano nation I would want to build. But if you cannot do it in the kitchen, you cannot do it in your culture. Yeah. On, on a larger scale for me, it's like right now I'm trying to create work that it, or I am creating work that is really interesting and for me and feels like it's part of some broader purpose. And it's, you know, creating a different point of origin is a big thing for me because it's very easy for me to, easy <laughs> for me to come back to where I am now, Fintorn in the north of Scotland and go, wow, it would be so easy to have really great ordinary here like it's this constant thing and when i'm here that's what i slip into like pretty great nice ordinary and and the the, the extra one of the extra challenges for me is many other people look at fintorn and they project extraordinary onto it so i'm constantly getting this feedback that actually me being here is extraordinary and then, but whenever I check inside of myself, I'm like, wait, no, that's other people's story. That's not actually my reality. So it's this thing of like, and, and I get to see like, as soon as I leave and I'm in a different place, like physically, I put myself in a different starting point, things start changing around me. And what, and my behavior, I can do almost similar things, but because I'm doing them in a completely different place, it creates completely different results. And it's the same when I'm looking for people to work with. If I send a message and say, do you want to work with me? People are like, yeah, maybe, could be fun. If I'm like, I'd love to work with you and I'm going to come to where you are so we can see if we can do this. Then we were like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it. And it's like these things combined can create. And it, yeah, within that is the challenge for me to not victimize myself to the story of Fintorn being oppressive for me. So it's like this thing of how, how do I take responsibility for the reality that things are different when I leave <laughs> without victimizing myself. 
Uh, in New Zealand, they have the same problem because everything, everybody thinks New Zealand is this like amazing, extraordinary uh, teddy bear. We call it teddy bear country. So I'm sure people yeah. can relate. <laughs> okay, I just want to add just one thing about this, what I want. Like this thing about saying what I want. Then it's about checking. I was t saying that we have parts. And it's about checking which I is talking when I say I want. You know, is it the box that wants it to keep it the same? Is it the gremlin that actually wants to destroy, you know, kill intimacy? Or is it your being that wants to have more intimacy? Or so there's a, a, a website, let me find it, that's called Parts. And there's about like 50 or 60 parts in there and we have all of them. And so in a way we all kind of all schizophrenic and it's great to just be aware of when we say I, I want, or I don't want, or which I is talking And that, that is, you know, it's again, it's like taking responsibility for which I is talking is extraordinary because you're taking responsibility. So this is what it is about. Lee, you wanted to say something, you turn on your microphone. Okay. Okay, I'll keep reading so we might get to the experiment. So cour courage, intention and efforts are necessary for loosening the steel hard grip of your box on your perception. You cannot look to the world for objective reality because the world is rich in evidence. This, is, this means that we are story makers. We, we go around and ongoingly we keep making stories which makes our reality and we there is an un, unlimited number of evidence that can support any of our stories and and then it's like which i is making stories which part of us is making stories so if it's just, if we make we have a story running that we are a victim or that we buy into somebody else making us a persecutor or we want to rescue somebody you know, they cannot do it. I have to do it for them, whatever. This is all our box and gremlin making up that story. So it's not, so it's not bad. It's just an ordinary story. So you cannot look to the world for objective reality. We do not interact with the world as it is. We interact with the world through our stories and um, memes and thoughtware. So because the world is rich in evidence. So the box use the box uses that evidence to support any story it wants. How can you not believe your own story when they are substantiated substantiated by such co convincing evidence? Okay, so this is a great question to carry around you and to carry around other people about, you know. Do I believe my own bullshit? You know, do, do I believe my own bullshit? That's really the question. So, yeah, Michael. Yeah, that interests me because I'm in the process of writing a story and I'm kind of grappling with the question of how there seems to be a, a place for storytelling as a way to engage with people where they're at and... Um, to 
to, I guess, just be oneself in a sense, including the parts that are actually sometimes low drama and sometimes caught up in stories about this and that. I wonder how to make storytelling um, extraordinary and archetypal when, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm dancing this line between how do my stories serve and how do they, you know, how do I get stuck in them and, yeah. Vera, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I guess the, the thing that was um, coming up when you said that, Michael, was um, by the result, like, I often see that the, 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 by the results of what's happening is what the stories that I'm telling is serving is, and, and, and so to make um, completely different offers for stories to create completely different worlds or to make experiments with, with creating different worlds is, uh, is what's coming up for me. It wasn't like a, a well thought through. I just had this, this um, image or impulse about bringing people to what, to what they really want or like to open doors to what through storytelling through, okay, what is it that really matters to you? What is it that really is deep inside? And, 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 and that already creates like a doorway to something um, more extraordinary, I would say, or even archetypal. That's what I got. I was going to go in a slightly different direction than you, Vera, because most people, they don't know what they want because they don't know what's possible. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we did this, it's not recorded, but just before the upgrading your communication paradigm, we were working with a community and there was three questions. You know, what are you, what are you building? What's up that's stopping you from building what you want? And what is your ideal outcome of this conversation? So they could say the two first one, you know, what, what do they think they're trying to build and what's, what's going on? They can't, most community, most people that we meet, they cannot say what, what they want because they don't know what's possible. And so what I, you know, I think the stories, your personal stories, Michael, of your own struggle, like your own stories of being, being a victim or being in low drama or like are useful because then people can relate to you that, okay, that's where they are and, and you are somewhere else. So it's possible to go somewhere else. And I think there's ways of, for example, like not taking yourself too seriously and like to make kind of fun of yourself of, you know, this is what I could create stuff like that. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that ridiculous that I, I could make up a story that would create this in my relationship, you know, and having this kind of uh, lightness about it, that then it's not, um, it's not real. It was just a story. So that could be something like that. Or, I mean, I'm inspired by, we're reading this Radiant Jubilant Love, and it's like, for example, the 122 ways of building ordinary relationship, which are so powerful, and they're all true. So Clinton wrote them from being in a relationship and that's what they were using to create ordinary. So there's this part of 
like uh, lightness. And then there's, there should be also a part of creating pain in people of, of saying, this is what you're doing. Because if it's not painful enough, they won't change. So it would be to take that risk of, of being so straight and so radical and so on point about the pain that people are creating for themselves in their life. And, and that would come from your own experience, to, you know, to write exactly your own, your own shadow world and your own gremlin, what was happening. Yeah. Does that help? Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks. Okay. Yeah, and I think storytelling, it's always been part of any culture to draw the maps. You know, the maps of how to navigate the territory, some of them are delivered by storytelling. So I think it's such a crucial part of next culture. Okay. So then there's a distinction between ordinary and extraordinary. So ordinary includes such quality, qualities. So ordinary interaction, ordinary context, ordinary space includes such qualities as dull, brute force, su survival hardening, powerless. So all of those, we have a sense of maybe the concept of it or like what the words mean. We know what the word mean. And I, I invite usually people to also to sense in myself of the sensation of what is survival hardened, you know, hardened. What, what it, there's this tightening, this like, you won't get me or I cannot talk right now. It's too much. I cannot be with people. Like it has a particular sensation be, behind the ordinary. And that's really what helps is this experiential distinction of a sensation. And then, then you have your X on the map. Okay, right now I'm in ordinary because this sensation is what creates ordinary or ordinary results. So ordinary includes powerless, flat, one-dimensional, so linear, predictable, playing weak or being reactive or being defensive about your position, being confused about how, what's going on playing dead, so playing small or, you know, keeping, keeping it to yourself. I, I'm going to, I want to say something, but I'm not going to say it because nobody can listen to me or, and this is kind of, it goes along with revenge. So refusing, being closed or weighty, be, being overwhelmed and being stuck or having the sentence, I'm stuck, I cannot go anywhere. Non-acceptance, separation, absence, ignorance, withholding, and no. I mean, this one I would say, uh, being able to say no, make a, a boundary, is also extraordinary. So it depends where the no comes from. Because a lot of us have just, we don't know how to say no or stop or that's enough. And learning how to do that is taking responsibility for our boundaries. So extraordinary includes such qualities as radiant and awake, alive, light, possibility, presence, brilliance, fluidity, inclusion, being with, clarity, being open, expansion, fresh, centered, 
being complete or union or team building, wonder, motionless speed, awe, love, acceptance, being a yes and. So life is not ordinary. Life is extraordinary. Life gets made ordinary by you. How? By believing your box, assumption, expectation, projection, conclusion, and it's already knowing. So I already know how it goes or it's always like this. When you use word, there's really a big tips. Like when you use words like only, or you never, or you always, or it, yeah, it never happens to me, or all those words are fake words that already you know that you're in ordinary because you make the whole world as one thing, when actually the world is so multidimensional. So you make things ordinary by giving cre credence or credibility to the meanings that your box provides you and to the significance that your box places on things. To get extraordinary, you must find out how your box create ordinary and then do something different. So this is sort of get to know yourself. There was a Socrates, which Right. <laughs> Clinton has I just changed it a little bit and said, know yourselves, your different, your different parts. Mm, I was going to say something. So there's a difference between, and I think that was big for me as somebody who was adaptive. There's, it was a big distinction. They, there's a difference between having a position. So being right, uh, like, you know, it has to be like this, otherwise I die, which is like the survival thing. There's a difference between that position and clarity, which is I, I'm, I won't let uh, other people's expectation or assumption be valid in my game world, for example. Or I, I won't let people who want to use my game world or my interaction or my energy in my space for, my, for gremlin feeding. Okay, so there's, a, there's this difference. That's not a, it's not a position. It's a clarity about what you want, like what you're being or what your archetypal lineage would want as a space of evolution and transformation and initiation or growing up or something like that. So it's great to, to get, just know this distinction because there's also... The point when you are in clarity, which is a point of origin into extraordinary, you have the possibility to ask, the, and this is what we did in the community uh, conflict lab just before the upgrading your, your communication paradigm, saying, this is what I want, and it seems like you are somewhere else, and, and it's like, I don't, I don't know how to get to you. I, like, I don't know how to be close to you please give me ways of how can I be closer to you? What can I do? What, how can I be that I wouldn't be closer to you? So 
that's a great question in terms of being vulnerable, like navigating to undefendedness, saying, I don't know, but I, I, I want connection. I don't know, but I want connection. And to not give away your clarity that if they say, well, I, I, want, you, I want you to believe that I'm a victim. And you can still say, okay, that, I have a no for that. I'm, not, I'm unwilling to think that you being a victim will make me closer to you. Can you make me another offer? I'm, you know, I'm willing to listen for three minutes, you know, without saying anything. You know, that could be an offer. Please listen to me for three minutes without saying anything. Like, so there's a lot of way that we can learn from the other person that we feel that we're disconnected with saying, how can I be closer to you and not lose your point of origin that is the clarity of I'm, I'm not available for emotional reactivity. I'm not available for gremlin. I'm not available for fighting. I'm uh, not available for assumption and expectation. So it's, this, it's walking this razor's edge. I think that goes back to what Anna was saying at the beginning and Chloe about mm -hmm. the con lose, not losing the connection, but keeping the connection and keeping the extraordinary. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. To raise his edge. Yeah. yeah. And which makes, I think, which makes the extraordinary so fun and so entertaining that it's always, it's never stable. It's like, it's always this dance. Mm -hmm. And how can I become even more elegant? Or how can I make offers that are even more interesting? Or, and, and this can be, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, there's always three worlds in, in the human being world. There's the middle world, which is I need, I need to go shopping and I need to cook things and I need to eat things for my body to work and I need to use the bathroom and shower and like all this kind of middle world thing. And those things need to happen. Or, you know, I, I, I might need to have a shelter, like a house, so I don't freeze in the, in the winter or something like that. This is middle world. And then there's then we have access all the time to the upper world, which is the extraordinary and archetypal and the underworld, which is the ordinary and low drama and gremlin. And to mo most people live in the middle world thinking that's reality. You know, I need to keep on the routine and going through the motion until I die. You know, especially like here, I'm in Greece and we went to the town and, okay, there's only guys outside. So, you know, I'm wondering where are all the women? So that's one thing. But all the guys are sitting at the cafe drinking uso, like a raki or what, and nothing is happening. And nothing for hours, you know, we went shopping, we went to the beach and the same people are sitting at the cafe, nothing's happening. And what I think, and this is an assumption, but what I think is that they're sitting there waiting for life to go by. They're just waiting for the time to go and go to sleep and then wake up the next morning and do the same thing. And they're waiting for life to go by. So it's possible they're surviving. Somehow they have enough money to go to the cafe and buy some alcohol. So that is possible. And for, for me, it's like, it's the waste of a precious human life. It's the waste of a precious human life. And, and, and so being on this, on this razor's edge keeps us alive. Mm. Being on this question, how can I create or extraordinary now? 
how can I create extraordinary now keeps us on this razor's edge that makes us alive and that, you know, what is really a human life useful for? I don't know. You know, my, my idea is that can, how much ecstasy can I have? That would maybe be a, a way of experiencing human life. How much extraordinary, how much fun, how much ecstasy can I create now and now and now? And, and that comes from being on this razor's edge. Mm. I'd, I'd say that that question also leads people to do things like drink a lot of alcohol. Like I, there are plenty of people I know who it, it's, it's still like, you know, the context within which you ask those questions. Cause I, I, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people I care about a lot who, when they ask them, they ask themselves the question, how much fun and ecstasy can I have in this moment right now? And their answer is with this beer and this pill and some loud music. You know, they even have pill, you know, pills called ecstasy. It just takes you right there. So it, it, it's, yeah, I would just yeah. add it's great questions to ask ourselves and it's still the context we ask them in and the values that we decide all the bright principles that we're deciding to put in the space that those questions are asked within it's yeah it's that different point of origin still i want to check in so this is was the end of the notes and there's uh, an experiment that's there's a lot of text so let's see what the experiment is really about but i want to check with maria and, and leon about how it's going over there I don't see what I can say right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm very actively following, but not like, I don't know, I don't have anything to add. I'm more like <laughs> taking the ideas. Okay. Okay. And, and Vera, anything from you? Well, about that, what, what you were just saying or about anything else or? Life is a non-specific question. Yes. <laughs> hmm. No. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so experiment number one. Here we speak about going extraordinary as a group not alone so we're doing this in the right context great going extraordinary alone is a, going extraordinary alone is a subjective experience where you could be fooling yourself going extraordinary as a group is more likely to be objective it's just more feedback and more uh detectors let's say yeah. a group can only go as far as the space holder can take it no pressure here <laughs> if you can see the if you cannot see the space holder the space holder is you do you get that mm. if you're looking around and you say who's the space holder then you have the clarity enough to ask this question which makes you the space holder because the space holder is the person who has more clarity has the most clarity so in a meeting mm, you know 
I, I don't go into any meanings without a space holder. So, because I know otherwise it's going to be taken over by the default box um, behavior. So now, from now on, any time you're in a meeting, which can be a family, you know, a family dinner, or a, a work meeting, or wherever you meet people, like possibility team, you can start scanning, saying, okay, who is the space holder and what's their purpose? And if you want to have a different purpose than them, you know, if they have an ordinary purpose and you want something else, then you declare yourself as the space holder and connect to everybody in the group and bring them into your purpose, into your extraordinary purpose. It takes a, some kind of assholeness and kind of arrogance of saying, I don't know what's, I don't care what's going on here. I'm going to take you with me because wherever I'm going is more interesting than whatever is happening right now. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it serves to have, you know, a few drops of arrogance in, in this kind of work. <laughs> yes. Mm. Uh, okay. If you, if you cannot see the space holder, the space holder is you. Okay. Then you cannot be a victim of what's going on in the space. Do not expect someone else to take a group into the extraordinary. If you have the desire. Okay. So this is, I just want to add something. How many people, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes you have this, why it has to be me? Why does it have to be me doing the work? Does anybody have this sense of, and, and so, and that's, you know, because <laughs> there's no reason, because you have more clarity, because nobody else is doing the work to be able to, to bring people there. And I, you know, it sounds pretentious when I say that, and it sounds arrogant, but possibility management is on the edge of edge workers. Most edge workers cannot feel. They cannot feel anger, sadness, fear, and joy. They, can, they don't know about their gremlin. They don't know about their box. They don't know about bright principles or the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. They don't know that they're trying to defend themselves. Okay, all of you have just more clarity than 99% of the people on the planet. So it's on you. It's on us. It's on us to do the work. And, and it's a shift then from being a victim of your own clarity or your own necessity mm. or your own geniusness, you know, instead of being a victim of your own geniusness, which, you know, we've been victimized, you know, you know and that's kind of a story, but in school, there is no place for genius. In most of society, there is no place for genius. There's a lot of place for um, mental illness. There's a lot of place for a victim of domestic abuse, you know, and this is wonderful. Like we need those spaces for also those people to be heard, but where are the place for geniuses? And they, they don't exist. So basically we have to create them. You have to create what you think you're going to, you, you have, you have to create what you think you were here to find. You have to build what you thought you were going to find when you came on planet earth, because it doesn't exist. Which is cool, mm. I think, but okay. So do not expect someone else to take a group into the extraordinary. If you have the desire for the group to be extraordinary, then it is your job to take it there. 
and vice versa. If you want the group to be extraordinary and it is not, then it is your fault or then it is your responsibility that it is not there. I remember the moment I had this liquid state about, I was looking around and I was in the lab, I think, and I realized that I couldn't be a victim anymore. And it was, it was a horrible, I was like, I, there was this part of my box that just wanted to have somebody that I could blame. I just, I was grasping, I was looking around and then this realization, go everywhere I move, I'm trying to find who's responsible for it to not work and it's me and only what I only see is me. And that was a tragic moment in my life. <laughs> but here I am, so we will come out the other side. <clears throat> Okay, so going extraordinary is rare because you as a space holder for the extraordinary make sacrifices. You practice with the impeccable vigilance of a tight rope walker, so the razor's edge walker. You develop the precision and stamina of a swordsman. You refine your integrity and upgrade your ability to detect purpose. You commit to total unhookability. When you can tolerate the intensity of the extraordinary yourself, then you can bring the group there. There's this quote from, it's a book actually, the title of a book. Enduring the intensity, the lightness, what is it? Enduring the lightness Oh yeah, and during the unbearable lightness of being. The intolerable lightness of being, I think. Intolerable, okay, great. The intolerable lightness of being. Mm. You know, and that's the extraordinary. And can we to tolerate it? Can we be in ecstasy? And I, it's like weird that our whole, we think we want it. And then when we're there, it's like, I don't know if I can be loved that much. I, I don't know if I can love that much. I don't, I, like all those story comes in. And it's just, from my experience, it's just for me at least, it was to build more and more matrix bearing this intensity of this lightness of being. <clears throat> okay, let's see if we actually get to an experiment here. The instruction for this experiment may be quite obscure. I am sorry. Clinton apologize. Do the best you can. <laughs> Success may require years of practice and it's worth the effort. You cannot get from, the ordin from ordinary to extraordinary. The extraordinary derive from its own unique point of origin. The point of origin is like your center, only in it, it is not you. It is the center. I'm going to speculate here and the idea that because the self is a superstition, like I am something, I am, you know, and it's like this Descartes, uh, I, I think therefore I am, you know, that there is an I is a superstition. So, but your center is still you, but the point of origin is not about you. It is the center. 
of whatever comes through you. Okay, that makes it even more obscure. Okay. You can start over again right now from the extraordinary no matter where you, you were just before. Just because it, it was not extraordinary before does not mean that it cannot become extraordinary now. The extraordinary point of origin is previous to nothingness. The extraordinary includes the ordinary. Wait, what? Yeah, the, the extraordinary, extraordinary, the extraordinary point of origin, the extraordinary point of origin is previous, previous to nothingness. The extraordinary includes the ordinary, which is this yes and mm. practice. There's this book, this, it's an amazing book. I didn't read it all the way, but it's kind of small. It's called Finite and Infinite Game by James P. Cars. And he, he had this idea that there are games that are finite. So and in, in finite games, there's a winner and there's a loser, which is an I win, you lose game. So a football game is a finite game where at the end of 100 and whatever minutes, there's a winner and there's a loser. Um, like any sports game is a finite game, but also trading is a finite game where at, at, at some point at the end of the game, there's somebody who has more money and somebody who has less money. On and on and on. So most like all, I would say all, most modern, modern culture games are finite game because they're ordinary because there's a winner and a loser. In school, mm -hmm. somebody is first and somebody is second. And at some point you finish school. So we think we can finish learning. You know, that's an idea of modern culture. Or there's an idea that we could finish, you are a finished trainer. You know, somebody said to me, gave me the feedback, okay, you have to be clear about whether you're a trainer on the trainer path or a finished trainer. I'm like, where does this idea come from that there's a finished trainer? So this is all finite game. And in the infinite game, the way it keeps going infinite is it includes the finite and recreate it to make it infinite. How do you make a game where the point is to never stop playing? How, what kind of games where you never want it to stop playing? So though that game like evolution or connection or authenticity or transformation or initiation, those ones, they never stop. There's never a point where you get to be adult. There's never a point where you get to be enlightened. Now, those are all fantasy world of a finite game. Okay. You can even consider you never get to be dead. I mean, some of you might have experienced that you've had a past life. So you've died and here you are again, you know, mm. it never ends. You think you're going to be over it, you know, if you kill yourself or whatever. And it's like, it's just another part of the game. So anyway, it's a really, it's a really uh, cool book. It's a really clear book. And, and it's about, it's about including, it's about keep, keep saying yes. And yes. And move into move into this game and it will, it will your game will shift into an infinite game. Mm.
So you cannot start, you cannot start at the point of origin if you try to bring anything with you. I'm going to say that again. You cannot start at the point of origin, like at the extraordinary point of origin or a new point of origin, if you try to bring anything with you. Therefore, starting over from the point of origin costs you everything. It is far easier to be, to be a space. It is far easier to be a space than to be at the point of origin. At the point of origin, nothing moves. Nothing needs to move. The point of origin is the still point. So at the point of origin, there's no story. There's no story, there's no voices, there's no, I guess there's almost no feeling. There's, almost, there's nothing. And in the space, then the space can get, gets filled up. But in the, depending on which, which of your point of origin, you can decide what the space gets filled up with, like what kind of stories. Are they empowering, are they disempowering? Are they connecting or disconnecting? So at the point of origin, nothing moves. Nothing needs to move. The point of origin is the still point. From the extraordinary point of origin, you can move in any direction. It is possible to rest on the point of origin and to come from there in each action. The point of origin, the point of origin is like now, but without time. The point of origin is like here, but without space. Okay, you see that Clinton has been in the spiritual school for some time. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. This is true. This is all true. <laughs> If you want the extraordinary, it is up to you to be there. Do not worry if it only lasts for an instant. With practice, you can get it to last for a whole moment, then for a few seconds. A few seconds of extraordinary can change your life forever. I'm mm. sure a lot of you have experienced that. Mm. People may try to destroy the extraordinary out of fear. Do not be angry with them. Agree instead. Okay, so people might try to destroy your extraordinary space because they're afraid. But here's talking about other people. Do not be angry with them. So, because the anger, for my part, comes from expecting that people will just agree with me or want to come with me or think that that's better. Or, so there's an expectation that extraordinary space is better than ordinary space. Okay, that's still an expectation. The anger comes from somebody just like, not fulfilling your expectation. So do not be angry with them. Agree instead. I mean, this, I'll, I'll read the rest and then I'll tell your story. Okay, Con conflict. God, this is what we've been working for a month here on the Conflict Transformation Summit. Conflict is a gateway to the extraordinary if you are the first to leave your defensive posi position and take the blame. The harder you try to protect the extraordinary, the quicker it vanishes. The extraordinary only disappears if you forget where it lives. 
The extraordinary only disappear if you forget where it lives. So the moment you have a position, you forget, you forget where it lives. Because having a position is, is the point of origin of the ordinary. So this is all happening in split seconds in our lives. The, experience, the experiment is this. Great, last line of the spark. <laughs> this is all very obscure. Okay. The experiment is this. Once a day, in a situation of two or more people, start over again from the extraordinary point of origin. That's it. I want to give you one more hint. Maybe we get to, I would try, I would like to try that um, right now, but this thing about agreeing, like there's so many people, there's, there's people in the world, okay? And there are people who are just so committed to the ordinary. And, you know, if I had to call them something, I could, I could call them primate. You know, they're just, they're committed to the extraordinary, to the ordinary and they, they have no interest in like, can I change myself? Can I evolve? Can I, can, is something different from this right now? And my proposal with those people, okay, you already know who those people are in your life. Okay, my proposal with those people is uh, agree with the primate. And you say, okay, ordinary is not, you know, extraordinary is not possible. Let's do ordinary. And you, you agree with them for about three minutes and you say, okay, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to have a different conversation. So there's some people that it's worth trying this experiment of starting in the new point of origin of extraordinary and some people who are just going to fight you and you have other things to do than fight the primate. So just agree with them for three minutes and then go do something else. Yeah. Okay. I, we could try right now in groups of three. Can we do that? Groups of three. I think there's enough people where everybody gets like two, two or three minutes to start over and over again in the extraordinary. And let's, let's do it like this. There would be one person trying to be in doing this practice of starting an interaction of space from the point of origin of extraordinary. The other person you having this conversation with them and the third person you're the coach. And as the coach, your job is really important saying, okay, this didn't work. What can you try this? Okay. This didn't work. Try this instead. Okay. Oh, this worked. Okay. Keep going. Okay. So there's three people, one possibility manager who's, who's practicing starting from the point of origin of extraordinary. The other person across is just having their conversation with them and a coach. And then we get three or four minutes per person and then we change constellation. Everybody gets to do it. Okay. Breakout room. Um, and where are you, Maria? Okay, so Maria, I, you are together with Leon and with Mikael and then everybody else in a group of three. Okay, I'll write you little messages. Have fun. <laughs> 
I would invite everybody to take a deep breath. And I know it's uh, time, it's already two hours. Um, so if anybody needs to go, um, I, I would keep this agreement to finishing now, but I would still like to hear if anybody has discovered anything or something that worked or how it doesn't work or any question or something. Hmm. Well, I guess if I can just relate what Gabrielle was finishing up telling us at the end of our, our um, experiment was um, in a situation where there was the ordinary and the extraordinary and the extraordinary response created a very, a gap, Gabrielle said, and it was, that's what I will take away. Mm. Were you the person who he was having the conversation with? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one who... <laughs> I was the primate. <laughs> oh, you were the primate and, and, and Lee, you were doing the experiment with him. Yeah, 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 but it did not go well. He was the one who came up with the right solution in the end. Yeah, and it was it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which was this kind of the, the gap that he called it, which is like what you were talking about, where the, the energy and the curiosity can 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 take place. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I came with this uh, idea at the end of the talk which a friend of mine, I've seen a friend, a friend of mine making it. It was about a kind of emotional Tai Chi. Like the, the person came into the room and said, you are the problem and I'm angry about you. And so the other person uh, responded, oh, wow, really, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And then there was this huge, uh, the person came with a huge emotion and the other responded with a, another huge emotion and it created like a floating space where, oh, oh where are we? This kind of, uh, this remind me of this kind of uh, experiment, let's say. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I, what I was, I was, I jumped in the group was Vera and, and Jake and Anna and you, in a way, you cannot replicate the extraordinary. So it's great to have a few tools of saying, you know, a few sentences that might help open that space. And every extraordinary space is unique. And this is why in this spark, there's no method. There's a, like, you know, I mean, I would read this spark and be like, what the hell, you know, like, how am I going to do this? And because there's no method, because the method would be ordinary. So, and this is the beauty of, so one hint that I gave that I, I found really useful is, for example, to, you don't know what you're going to say. In an extraordinary space, you don't know what you're going to say. And this is this stillness of this extraordinary point where you cannot stay there. You cannot fill the space from that, but you can move from there, but you don't know what you're going to say. And so one thing could be to start a sentence with one word, okay, not with I, not with the, like, Like, let's say, mm, Chinese, Chinese pottery have this, they draw their, their stories on, on Chinese pottery so their knowledge of their medicine is never lost. 
and I'm wondering about how we're doing, how we are keeping our, our secrets. How are we going to pass on our secrets for the rest of the generations to come? Okay. There is no victim in this, in this beginning of this conversation. So that could be a really great uh, hint about start a conversation with one word. Let the, let the sentence unfold and see where it brings you. See, you know, I didn't know that I cared about keeping the keeping our mystery or our secrets or our distinction alive for the next generations to come. But now I'm informed that actually that's what I care about. I didn't mm. know that before. So, so that's one hint. I have a question. There's, um, I think it's, it was this, I need to know what I want first. I mean, um, mm. So part of the, the part that uh, was keeping me in the beginning is, okay, what do I want besides doing this practice? And, and then kind of figuring out what I wanted and then kind of almost like letting go of how it would happen. Um, most of the time, it was just not really figuring out, but with my head, with what I wanted was more aligning with the purpose of connecting, which is when I was talking to Anna, I, I wanted to know more about her. I, that was what I realized, what, I, what do I want right now? Is like, I, I just want to know more about her. I want to like know where she's at. And, and so that, that was a, a bit in the beginning before I could form a sentence to, to more or less like energetically align myself with, all right, mm -hmm. this is what I'm here to do. So that could be also a hint so that people don't start from their heads. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Just hearing Vela sharing now, I realized that, like, that was the bit I missed. Is I had there was this time pressure, yeah, and I felt the time pressure, and so I tried to skip a step. Mm. And it's like I was trying to start from, so I was trying to start from this nothingness, this unknown but without the context of what do I want in this connection with Veda. So I was just like pulling things out of thin air. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's what they were. They were things out of thin air. And some of them could have been extraordinary in specific contexts, but they weren't in that moment because they weren't disconnected from me and from Veda. They were just things. And it's like, as soon as I just went that and I just had the thought when Veda was speaking there, I was like, well, what did I want? As soon as I got that, it was just like, like this whole like nonstop thing of stuff that I could have done or whatever, like just anywhere that I could have started. So it, it's like, I was just picking a word and new things were coming. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, oh yeah, okay, no matter what the time pressure is, you know, it's like one, ex one ex if I'd paused and I'd connected to that, I may have got one extraordinary thing. Instead, I tried to rush and I got nothing. I guess that's what I came away with. I mean, so somehow um, what I hear is you're, you're almost saying that you were a victim of time. N so no, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just letting, yeah. you know, the way that you made that your comment, mm. 
is that you were a victim of time. And therefore, then again, when, when you make this comment, your point of origin is an ordinary that you can be a victim of the time pressure. So I'm just suggesting yeah, that yeah. I think what revealed in that okay. exercise for you is deeper than what you are saying it is. That I think most of the time you start with your point of origin in ordinary, where you're trying to explain yourself about why you couldn't make it work. Which is what you created with Vera. You, you explain about how you couldn't make it work. And again, here, when you shared, you said, I, cannot, I couldn't make it work because. And so that's mostly where your point of origin is. And I'm being a little bit of an asshole with you because I know that you want to be a trainer. And I... Yeah, no, I, I don't. That's fine. Um... Okay, would you... I would prefer that you did not respond to this and you just let it sink in. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay. I just, so I wanted to add something to what Vera was, you were saying about, you wanted to know about what, who Anna was and that was your intention or that's, that's what, where you wanted to align with. And a, a hint that I would give in, in that is if you want to know who the other person is, you, you have the responsibility to open the space that they can unfold in your space. But if you ask a question, you know, what are you really? Or, or I want to know you. It comes out as a pressure. I don't know if you can feel it, that the other person has to give something first. You making, you're putting the pressure on the other person to give something to you, which that would be an ordinary conversation. It, it come from a baby that I want something from you instead of I'm going to create a space where you, I can see you unfolding into all your dimension, you know, especially as a woman of everythingness, but also for men. So that, that would be a, a big distinction that you have to go first. You have to be vulnerable first about creating the space and not expect other people to answer your question because you want to know them. I mean, most people who said they want to know me, I say no, you know, it's because it's like, why? You know, you want something from me and I, I'm not something to be given. I'm not something to fulfill your need to know something. Does anybody have any anything else about what worked or what didn't work or what you? I had the experience of um, <clears throat> because thankfully uh, I've lately really been able to connect with my joy in a way that uh, has not been historically very <laughs> possible for me, and um, you know I I felt this. Uh, question coming up that had joy attached to it um, of uh, what do you love about men and you know this felt like quite a dangerous question to start a conversation with it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't the way I would normally handle a conversation but I thought well you know I guess this is my experiment for following the thread of joy um, 
And, you know, it was just great. You know, it evoked a really wonderful conversation and, um, and I really loved it. And interestingly enough, I mean, I, I learned stacks about Leon in a couple of minutes that, you know, like real, you know, human stuff that's way, you know, way better than like trivia stuff. Um, yeah, it was really great. I loved it. Yeah. Then, Michael, you have no excuse to start any conversation now with how are you? Is this forbidden for the rest <laughs> of your life? For the rest of your life, how are you is like banned. <laughs> Deal? Okay. Okay. Deal. okay. <laughs> and, and, that, and you can say hi and let your joy, you know, and, and it could, you can start experimenting with joy, but there would also be other feelings. And let's see, okay, what... What does my joy want to say? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. For me, it would be that before I start any conversation, I really go into myself and into my feeling because usually I would start from my head and it would start from the known. And um, the first step to the extraordinary would be, what do I feel and what do I want? And, and that would be my coming closer to a very good starting point for myself. You might even get scared about what you want, but it's Maybe. fine because feeling fear, <laughs> feeling fear is great. Mm -hmm. You know, we might be, be scared about what we want. Yeah. And that's, you know, like you did this experiment in the week. Great. Mm -hmm. That means you're on the edge, you know, that means it's new. That means it's alive. Cool. Okay, I think that's about it for today. I there's a WhatsApp, there's a Facebook chat that's uh, for this this call to also share the experiment. It's sometimes really alive, sometimes not so alive. But probably I think Michael and Lee, you're probably the only one not in it, or somebody else is not in it. Maria and Leon, are you in it? Okay, I'll add you then. And Maria, are we friends on Facebook? Are yes. we friends? Yeah. Oh, we are friends. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Then I'll add you, all of you, and then post the recording of this. And then, yeah, you know, the experiment is to, to three times a day to start from this new point, of or, new point of origin. So if you discover anything or want to share anything about that, that would be the space to do it so we can follow each other. Okay. Hey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anne Claude. Bye. Bye. Thank you. V Vera, do you? Oh, she's gone already. <laughs>